Welcome to The Rot Focus, a podcast for rotters, newbies, and veterans, and everyone in between. We're hosted by M.A. Lee with the assistance of Remy Black and Edie Rooms, all from Rotters Inc. Books. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Each episode lasts as long as it takes to fix a quick dinner, drive a short commute, or take a brisk walk. Resources and links are in the show notes. Visit us at therockfocus.blogspot.com. Now, on to this week's episode. How do I succeed at writing? Most answers to that question focus on creativity, story development, character explorations, poetic contemplations, blogging topics, and more. Business needs to be added to that list. Refine the question. How do I succeed at the writing business? Even our refined question can be divided into several. What are the best systems for writers? What are the best daily procedures? The best ways to balance creativity and practicality? These are the first decisions to build a writing business. Think of writing as running a small business. Writers create content, stories, poems, blogs, any of our writing. That content is our product to sell. As creators of quality products, we have a writing biz. Imagine a writing career. What is the reality? No, not the fantasy. What will the actual day-to-day writing life be? Daily writing requires that we find ways to cope with the soul-suckers who interfere with our creative energies. Enter the writing business offers the reality of the writing career. It's a series of posts on the daily creative process and the daily devotion to writing before it transitions to business decisions. We look at the necessary writing space, then the essential hard and soft skills. To succeed, though, we need a business plan designed for writers. That biz plan will direct our daily actions, weekly plans, and monthly reviews and previews the do's that few consider until swamped by the constant doing of them. It's more than a tossed life preserver. With the practicalities discussed here, we can avoid the swim across the channel and build a bridge to cross from newbie to pro rider. As part of the five-year publication anniversary of my first book, I filled August 2019 with a blog series of 30-plus basic decisions. The last two posts in the series chattered about the hell and the heaven of writing to answer every writer's constant unspoken question, is it worth it? Most new writers drop out before the five-year mark. I made many mistakes, but I have learned from them. Now I'm seeing better results every day, gradually building a list of books. I have creative plans and business plans. I'm no longer reacting. I'm taking well-considered actions. Hopefully, by applying the lessons and enter the writing business, you can avoid those mistakes and reactions and expectations, and you will also achieve success. Dream it, believe it, and do it. One, Writer's Dream of Writing. August is anniversary month for Writers, Inc., my writing business gathering together all my writing under three pseudonyms. In August 2013, I decided to become serious about writing so I could make a living doing it. 
One solid year later, in 2014, I had finally changed to a daily writing devotion, guaranteed to achieve that decision. Self-discipline and devotion were difficult transitions. A year after, on August 30, 2015, I published my first book under my first pen name, determined to get it out there before another Labor Day passed. October 2015 saw three more novels published under a different pseudonym. Another year later, also in August, I wrote my first business plan, about nine months after I encountered this analysis of a small business's direction. Writing as a business? A radical idea. To reflect the previous year's publications, I backed up the five-year biz plan to 2015. Maybe I should have backed it up to 2013, the actual decision year, with a few months preceding in 2012. The Kindle began revolutionizing publishing in 2010. It wasn't the first e-reader. Digital books had floated in the internet for years. The Kindle, though, reached the masses. My first Kindle was a gift to myself for Christmas in 2012. Only in the summer of 2013 did my eyes open to the new doors available for writers. Although self-publication sounded worrisome, it was extremely tempting. Slow to transition. One excuse for my slow comprehension of the changes in the publishing world was my brain-sucking job. Another is that I silently consider changes long before I implement them. Third, well, from 2004 to 2010, my life had several drastic changes that twisted my thinking the way a tornado wrenches trees. Sleep deprivation, depression, grief, emergency surgery. I barely kept my head above water, not losing my stuffing. I held onto my job, the one that paid all the bills. Gradually, I figured out a new perspective on life after focusing so very, very long on others. Major life changes can be like tornadoes, demolishing one area and leaving others seemingly untouched. Only after the devastation is over and cleanup begins will we discover how all areas are tied into the devastated one. Brain-sucking jobs can be ravaging to people desperate for personal creative expression even as those jobs offer helpful hard skills and soft skills. This idea, though, is about that first August 2013 decision and our first lesson, becoming serious about writing. How often does anyone have the chance to achieve a lifelong dream? Dreams are not fantasies. We all have fantasies. Becoming a player on a major sports team, winning the Grammy for Best New Vocalist, looking supermodel perfect all the time, winning the lottery, becoming a best-selling and wealthy writer. Duke Ellington said, a dream is a goal with a finish line. B, when a dream is a goal, that goal is attainable after effort over a span of time. That span of time may last a year, three years, five years, which is the reason most business plans are five-year plans. The goal will have midterm benchmarks based on short-term strategies. When a dream is a fantasy, it plays and tinkers and feeds the ego. The long-term goal may look attainable, but whole elements of it are dependent on outside forces. Luck is an outside force. 
The best young athletes may never have a scout consider their potential. Backing from a music publisher can be a roll of the dice. It's expensive to have an airbrush makeup artist trailing behind you 24-7. People fantasize about ideal lives all the time. Ideal is not real. It's pretty to look at, especially when we're slogging through the muck of daily life. Goals with their long-term projects and benchmarks and strategies, those sound boring. The dream sounds like a job. Becoming a writer, though, that sounds like a dream. C. A dream is a goal with legs. You want to enable that dream for walking? You need to train the proper brain synapses to create locomotion. You want to walk that dream? You have to train the muscles. How do you train riding muscles? Write. A daily dose of riding. Just like an athlete has a daily physical training drill. Study. After all, perfect practice leads to perfect performance or as close as possible. Practice for that performance over and over. Stephen Covey says, begin with the end in mind. Know the ultimate goal of your writing. What are you going to do with it? Choose. One, keep it to yourself. You're just playing with writing, aren't you? Or two, aim for publication. Now you're in the storytelling business. Be a great writing athlete. Just do it. Two, know your lifelong dream. When did you decide to be a writer as your lifelong dream? I can remember the moment that I first wanted to be a writer. I had just finished a Phyllis A. Whitney novel. She wrote more than 70 in her long career. Today we call Whitney's books Vintage Gothics. Her fellow giants in the genre were Victoria Holt and Mary Stewart, my favorite, and Dorothy Eden. The books are called Romantic Suspense or Woman in Jeopardy also. I love reading, devour anything readable. My sister taught me to read before I started first grade, which was a good thing. Or my reading skills would be like my math skills. Daddy called me a wiggle worm and first grade was a hard transition for me. Thanks to Diane, reading was and is my great love. A. Can a professional writer not love reading? All those years ago, when I finished my first vintage gothic, I turned the last page and encountered Whitney's short biography. I know that I must have previously read other author bios. Whitney's note, though, struck me hard. I don't remember my thought process, but it must have gone like this. People write books. People make a living writing books. People make a living writing interesting books. I want to do that. The dream was born. B. Wrangling a lifelong dream. For the next few years, I played with stories. Play is necessary. Children play at adult work. We learn what we like and don't like. Playing at writing, we discover our likes and dislikes. The summer after the summer that my family's house burned to the ground, I completed my first story. This pitiful manuscript is in storage somewhere, less than 100 pages and more than 50. I had impressed myself. Rolled eyes, please. By college, my reading had expanded, and I found my reading love fantasy. 
Writers often write what they love to read. I played with my first fantasy novel. My sister Diane even typed it for me. She also commented that all the thous and these and thys and thuns, along with unusual words like ululation and susurration and coruscation and crepuscular, created a difficult read. I acknowledged her advice, but basically ignored it. It's my book, I thought. I'm in charge of my book, damn it. Do you know the mistakes I made? Try show-off, ego-driven, fantasies. Do those sound correct? Three, pursuit of the dream. My second completed manuscript had a lot of mistakes, not typographical errors, not grammar usage and mechanic errors, mistakes in handling the words. My first completed manuscript was definitely juvenile in mindset by a juvenile. A dream is a goal with a finish line. Remember that quotation from Duke Ellington? The major problem with my second manuscript was that I confused the fantasy of being a writer with the dream of being a writer and definitely with the reality of being a writer. One mistake was thinking that finishing a manuscript was the finish line. Nope. Another was a mistaken belief in that manuscript's ability to match the quality of the books that I was reading. Third, the flaws with words prevented a flowing story. A definite nope. Here are three essential questions to ask yourself about every story you tell. A. Should the writing interfere with a story? My fascination with archaic language, the, thou, thy, thine, and archaic language forms, doth, hast, as well as a need to add in fancy words like coruscation and susurration, doomed that iteration of the story. Writers can have touches of beautiful and lyrical and fun on every page of a manuscript. We can use touches of archaic language to distinguish a particular character through speech. We can touch in a few $50 words to spark a little curiosity in the reader. The key word is touches. As soon as poetic or archaic language or vain vocabulary overwhelms the page, we overwhelm the story, obscuring it for the reader who merely wants entertainment. We should invite readers into our stories, not drive them away. B. Whose story is it? Remember, I considered that story, the Tower of Lanage, to be mine. I crowded fancy words and language onto every manuscript page. I burdened the story with a title that really had very little to do with the book. I did a great disservice to that story. The story belongs to itself, not to an individual writer. We just craft our version of the story, for which we will acquire copyright and receive payment. Deliberately crafting a difficult read pleased no one but myself. In the publishing world of the time, I could have paid a vanity publisher to send my book into the world. Fortunately, the money wasn't in my banking account for that frivolous expense. However, I did and could scrape together the money for postage. I sent that pathetic manuscript to every appropriate publisher in the annual writer's market. 
one year, two years, and three before I admitted the story was flawed at the basic word level. Then I launched into the first major revision. Revision hell is coming, I promise, along with another post on how to know when to give up on a manuscript. See, what are my intentions with this story? Even after three years of rejections, my lifelong dream remained, make a good living writing interesting books. Fiction writers are storytellers first and foremost. All that archaic and fancy language destroyed any interest in that story, a key element of my dream. I overcrafted at the basic level of story, all to please myself. My claim of my book, damn it, is only accurate if I never wanted to send the book into the world. I certainly did, which meant the book was intended for everyone, not me. I continued to have struggles with this lesson on intentions. I've learned, finally, that stories should flow unhindered, while revision to stories should only enhance the story's flow. My ego has nothing to do with the words on the page. These are now two of my goals for every story I write. The third is to make it interesting. These three mantras are the start for every writer. Serve the story, not your own ego. Write to communicate, not for vanity. Know the goal, not the fantasy. Five, thunder, lightning, changes, oh my. During the interminable years of my intensive job, I often arrived home brain-weary, energy zapped, and inspirationless. By the time I walked for exercise, which didn't happen as often as it should have, then fixed dinner and completed the essential chores, I didn't want to do anything but veg out. It took disgust and a time-based goal to remove the idea that I deserved to veg out. That disgust with doing nothing and hating the doing nothing, while nothing still got done, was key to developing my devotion to writing. The disgust came one night in late summer. I was crocheting, working on a prayer shawl per month to donate to shut-ins. Crocheting is a soothing activity for me, mostly automatic except when I have to count for patterns. The shawls or lap throws all follow the same pattern. I didn't have to count just hook a new stitch into the previous stitch and keep going. If I wasn't crocheting of an evening, I was messing around on my new Kindle purchased for my birthday in May. I had discovered the free classics and downloaded several. I found new writers. The Kindle was book browsing heaven, especially since my town had lost its local bookstore a decade earlier. Usually the Kindle was for weekend reading. On weekday evenings, I would crochet while I watched a TV show. This thundery evening, with the TV off because of lightning and power surges, I realized my goal of 12 prayer shawls in a year was nearing completion. My mind swirled with possibilities for the nightly two hours. What should I do next? Teach myself to draw? Get back to practicing the piano? I would need to purchase a keyboard for that. Pursue one of those long-term goals I kept putting off. Thunder rumbled. A long-term goal. Had I forgotten writing? No. I had shoved it off to the side, something I wanted 
but not something I could achieve. That's what I thought. I had given up submitting to the traditional publishers in 2005. What was the point? Yet I kept writing, kept coming up with new stories, inspired by ideas, by characters, not able to quit writing scenes, not able to stop finishing manuscripts, just not going to submit to the trads or New York agents again. I kept writing until life rolled and rolled and smashed me flat as Gumby. That night, when I thought about my writing, disgust filled me. If I just turned off the TV, stopped watching reruns of a TV show that I didn't really care for, I could write for those two hours every evening. I might not have the full two hours Monday through Friday, but I would certainly have additional time on the weekends. I loved writing, but I couldn't remember when I had last written. Not for years. When? I immediately put down my crochet and headed for my desk calendar. By the way, this is an excellent reason to track your writing days. This was 2012, end of August, and I had written nothing that year. Nothing. Writing for work didn't count. I turned to the bookshelf where I kept old calendars. 2011, 2010, nothing, nothing. 2009, 107 days. Writing a sequel to a story finished in 2007. 2008, nothing. Well, I had a reason for not writing anything that year. My mother died following a long mental decay. Grief creates this black hole. You think you're doing well. You're not. It doesn't end. You just get past the black hole and try not to orbit around it. 2007, 149 days. Previous years, around 35% of the year. I stared at nothing for a while. Then I climbed the stairs to the bonus room where I had an unpacked box from moving in 2011. A box filled with story ideas. I jerked out the story that I had started in 2009 and carried it down to the couch. I didn't pick up the crochet again that evening. I reacquainted myself with that story. Here's the lesson. Accomplish more than you think. By the end of 2012 and the last four months of the year, I had written for 51 days. Half of that writing was on weekends. I did have the occasional hour or two in the evenings. I burned through several hours on the weekends when I had no other commitments. Those 51 days are 42% of 122 days in those last four months. Not every other day, but coming close. Certainly better than nothing. I also finished that last prayer shawl. Every evening that I entered my writing space, I set a timer for two hours. I can get lost in story. My job needed a brain, so my brain would need its seven hours of sleep, minimum. I started my evening at six and ended at eight. On those 51 days, I had more staring at the beginning than I liked. I managed a few pages. On bad nights, I wrote only a couple of paragraphs. On a few wondrous evenings, I wrote 10 to 12 pages. I lived for that rushing spate of words. I didn't have an official goal, nothing more than finish that book. No plans to submit it or anything else, just finish. I didn't finish the book in 2012, but I was happier than I'd been in a long time. 
allowing my creative expression to emerge after shutting it down for years was wonderful. Here's three more lessons I learned in the tail end of 2012. TV time is a suck, just as much as a job is. TV doesn't give me dollars. Time with the TV is lost, a black hole that I refuse to orbit around. It's also a creativity suck. On that fateful August evening, another August decision. Had the TV been on, my brain would not have turned over my world and turned it upside down. You know what else is a suck? Those phone apps. Social media, phone games, video games, browsing on Pinterest, surfing the net. We think it will take only a little bit to check our message stream on the great Facebook in the cloud. When we look up, two hours have passed. Or we want to finish the game on a high note. There goes 30 more minutes. Pinterest and more are just like looking through catalogs. So you've not written in a long while? You can still pick it back up. It's like riding a bicycle, or doing crochet, or playing the piano. You might stumble a little at the beginning, yet the more you write, the more that ideas will flow, and more ideas translate into words, pages, scenes, chapters, book. Thanks for listening to The Right Focus, a podcast for writers at all levels, hosted by Emma Lee from Writers Inc. Books, assisted by Remy Black and Edie Runes. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle called Background Music Loop. Its creator is Alexander Polishchuk, known on Audio Jungle as Plastic 3. The music comes in different iterations. Show notes and resource links for this and other episodes can be found at therightfocus.blogspot.com. Write to us at winkbooks at aol.com when you have questions, comments, and speculations. We will try to answer you as quickly as possible. By the way, we will not mind your email address. That's rude. If you find value in our content, share with your writing friends or write a review. We're small beans here without the advertising budget of the big peeps, and you can make a difference. And whatever occurs, right on.